Hi, I'm Rachel Hollis, and this is my podcast. I spend so many hours of every single week reading and listening to podcasts and watching YouTube videos and trying to find out as much as I can about the world around me. And that's what we do on this show. We talk about everything, life and how to be an entrepreneur. What happened to dinosaurs? What's the best recipe for fried chicken? What's the best plan for intermittent fasting? What's going on with our inner child? How's therapy working out for you? Whatever it is my guests are into, I want to unpack it so that we can all understand. These are conversations. This is information for the curious. This is the Rachel Hollis Podcast. This is so crazy. I, this is the power of technology. Ah! There it is. How are you? I'm good. How are you doing? Good. I mean, you know, just throwing a little conference. No big deal. Hey, it is. I get it. <laughs> right. Um, so first of all, I, I want to say thank you so much for being here. You are always such an incredible friend and such a dear support to jump in. I think I texted you like three weeks ago and was like, dumb, I feel like you should be part of day three. And you just are so gracious to give us your time, which we know is intense and busy. So um, thank you. Any, let's start there. Anytime for you, homie, you know this. Thank you. Uh, so let's start here. If not everybody knows your story and you've done so many things since Quest, but I do feel like that's such a beautiful part of the journey. Will you just sort of give us your condensed version of who the <laughs> hell you are? <laughs> Yeah, so I'll, I'll wrap it in 30 seconds. So um, I decided 12, I want to be a filmmaker. I go to film school, think I will graduate, get the three-picture deal. It does not happen like that. I struggle to figure out how to break into the industry. I'm laying on the floor of my unfurnished apartment, wondering how on earth I'm ever going to make my dreams come true. Sliding towards depression, very frustrated, feel completely hopeless, um, and just really, really a dark period in my life. I start reading about the brain and I come across this idea uh, of brain plasticity. And it was a promise that just because I wasn't talented at that moment, which by the way, I wasn't, didn't mean I couldn't become talented. And that lifted this yoke off my shoulders. And I thought, okay, well, if I can put hard work into something and get better, I'm willing to do that. And so over time, that becomes what I call the only belief that matters. And my life can be demarcated between before I had that realization, which we would now, of course, call a growth mindset, and after. And so I ended up meeting these two very successful entrepreneurs. I'd written a screenplay, got turned into a film. I was very unhappy with the final result. And they said, you're coming to the world with your hand out. And if you want to control the art, you have to control the resources. So why don't you come with us and get rich? We're starting a technology company. And 18 months from now, you know, we'll, we'll have just millions of dollars. It'll be amazing. I was like, oh, my God, that sounds perfect. Let's do exactly that. And so I started with them as a copywriter. And it took like 15 years, but it ended up working. And so... Through multiple companies, we start um, Awareness Technologies, which was the tech company. And that was where I showed up every day just trying to get rich, right? Just want to get rich. I'm here to get rich. And I would say that out loud to anybody that would listen. I'm just trying to get rich. 
And finally, about eight and a half years in, I was just emotionally devastated, just sort of ground into the dirt. Lisa was like, you know, you don't have a personality anymore. Like what happened? And I was like, all right, look, I promised you that I would make you rich. And there's a whole story with her father, all of that, yep. of course. And um, I say, but I, I need to feel alive. And so we're going to have to take some steps backwards. And she said the now famous words, I bet on you. And uh, oh, it still gives me, it makes me emotional now. And I went in and quit and I gave back about $2 million in equity. And as it turned out, my partners felt the same and they were like, hey, what would it take for us to keep working together? And I said, we'd have to sell this company. We'd have to build a new company predicated on adding value to people's lives. We'd have to build community. I would need to be able to be authentic. And all words now that are so buzzword that everybody takes it for granted. But in 2008, when I'm saying them, it's radical. Mm. And so they agree. And I had my eye on this thing that we now call social media, which did not have a name back then. And I said, hey, we can build real community using this thing. And so we went all in building community and trying to uplift people. And, you know, Quest obviously ends up being this crazy rocket ship and we took it from not existing to being valued at over a billion dollars in five years. And through all of that, I gained a far deeper why for wanting to be a filmmaker. And so end up exiting Quest. Um, we sold it for a billion dollars. And needless to say, that's life changing. And that gave me the uh, financial ability to build the studio. And now with my wife, as my co-founder and partner, um, we're setting out to make sure that nobody makes it to the age of 15 without encountering a growth mindset. And right now, in most of the developed world, your zip code is the number one predictor of your future success. It's not even your IQ, which I would hate, but I could at least understand. But the fact that it just happens to be where you grow up and you know that's a, a lottery. And so I'm not okay to live in that world. And Impact Theory is, is here to make a contribution to solving that problem. Yeah. Let's talk about growth mindset because for people who are watching this at home or maybe sitting in the room who aren't familiar with this idea, will you explain the role that it played in your life and sort of what it means for all of us as individuals? Yeah, no doubt. So I call it the only belief that matters because your behaviors follow your beliefs and your behaviors are all that matter. Therefore, your beliefs actually are all that matter. And once you realize that your beliefs are actually a choice that we confuse with objective reality. So we look at ourselves and go, no, but I really am dumb. Like, I, what, what do you want me to say? You know what I mean? Like, you need look no further than Elon Musk or Einstein or, you know, whoever. Pick the person that's better than you at the thing that you want to be good at. And it strikes us as self-evident that we are worthless. And so people end up in this spiral of, well, I'm not good at this. I'll never be good at this. I have failed. Therefore, I am a failure. Um, and they don't move forward to get better at something. And so I got obsessed with that idea of my whole life changed when I realized, oh, if I put time and energy into gaining a skill, I actually will gain that skill. And so something that I talk about a lot, and I never see that like moment of awakening in people's eyes. And so I just keep saying it in as many different ways as I can think of until I see people really make that shift of skills have utility. They let you do things, 
So you don't get a skill so you can check a box, so you can get a degree, so that you can impress your parents. You get a skill so you can build a fucking bridge, so that you can uh, build a rocket ship, so you can build a company, so you can be a better parent, so you can, you know, heal a human being, like whatever your thing is. But like a doctor goes to school specifically to learn how to like imagine opening a human up, cutting something out, sewing it back together, and then they're better. It's like you don't happen upon that. You go through a lot of work to get these skills. And so once people understand, oh, wait a second, the human animal is by design the ultimate adaptation machine, okay? Every species goes down one of two paths. Path A is a horse, right? And you come out and you can do all horsey things 20 minutes in. Now imagine that at 20 minutes in, your infant sounded like a 30-year-old. Right. That'd be really weird. <laughs> See, and as a species, we, we have a whole different setup, which is that we are wired to learn from our surroundings. So we have this extended period of infancy where for years we can't take care of ourselves, right? Like even, you know, when a real toddler, even in the most fundamental ways, they can't hold their own head up. They, you know, have to wear diapers. Like it's, it's really a serious thing. And when you think about how long we have to engage with our kids. And so, okay, that's how the the species is created. So whether you believe in God or not, and let's put some God language on it for a minute. God has made you such that that's what you require to get up and going, to get fully baked, is you have this system where you can adapt to anything better than any other animal. So that's like your gift is the ability to go shifting from one thing to another. Now, if that is at a species level, our gift then it's like, well, what are you doing to make use of that? And most people, when they read a book, it is to say that they read the book. It isn't to extract that knowledge and say, and now I can do this thing. And then to go do that thing in the world. And once you realize, oh, okay, I'm designed to get better at something. If I put the time and energy into getting better, I actually will get better. And I will get better at something that matters to the world. Now you're never trapped, right? So one of my favorite quotes of all time is Kobe Bryant, booze don't block dunks. Yes, you have so, told me this many times. Oh man, I'm obsessed with this idea. So you can get so good at something that no matter how much people hate you, no matter how much they want to stop you, no matter how much the deck is stacked against you, no matter how much the world wants to hold you down, you can get so good at something that you literally can't be stopped. So take Kobe Bryant. So the best basketball players that the globe has to offer, we're talking out of 7.8 billion people, they are narrowed down to the best of the best of the best. And then we pay them millions of dollars to stop Kobe Bryant from scoring. And yet, Rachel, in a single game, that man scored 81 points. So that's for all of us to claim in our lives that it doesn't matter if it's hard. It doesn't matter if people are against us. The only thing that matters is, are you putting in the time and the energy to get the skill that lets you do something that you want to do in the world? And once you have that, now you've got this magic set up for fulfillment, which is, of course, the real punchline. What does fulfillment look like for you? Because we're sitting right, in this room. I've got a room. definition. I know. We're sitting in this room, and I think that you and Lisa would be the definition for so many people of what the ultimate success looks like. And frankly, 
You could have the golden parachute of having sold Quest. You've made it to the top of the mountain. You made it to the top of the highest mountain. You leapt right off and you could just, you know, hang out for the rest of your life. You're young, you're wealthy, you have access, you've done the thing, you've already impressed people. And right away, you started building the next thing. And it's audacious. And some, <laughs> I mean, if you go hang out with Tom, I just like, I said, I'm two hours go by and I'm like, I don't even know what this man just said. I don't even know the words that you just used to describe this thing you're building because it's so big. I have to learn a new language to even be able to understand what you're dreaming of next. Where does that come from? What does fulfillment look like? Okay, so I'll define fulfillment and I want everybody to understand that the punchline of life, so there, there is a reason that we pursue fame, money, accolades. So I'm not taking anything away from that, but we pursue them with a misunderstanding of what they do. So money, for instance, is the great facilitator. I wouldn't be able to build what I'm building now if I didn't have access to capital. So that really is, it's actually money is more powerful than people think but it's not what they've been told. So what you think is that money is gonna change how you feel about yourself, that you will feel about yourself the way you feel about other wealthy people when you look at them. But the reality is it won't work. And how do I know? From experience. So I'm very grateful that I chased money really hard in the beginning before I had it and realized, oh, I'm technically on paper, I'm a multimillionaire, but like emotionally, I feel terrible. And so I don't like my life and I don't want to keep living this way. And so I learned that really early on. And so then the sort of great irony of my life is that I made money once I stopped focusing on money and I started focusing on value creation because of course that's what people actually pay for. So that, that was really big is to understand the game I'm playing is neurochemistry. The game I'm playing that we're all playing is how do you feel about yourself when you're by yourself? Now, if you can embrace that that is all that matters because like, I'll, I'll ask the question this way. How many billionaires have to commit suicide before people realize, oh, money can't touch that, that right. thing, whatever that thing is, but that even having that much money can't keep you from wanting to end your life. Okay. So now hopefully we can put money on a different shelf and say, okay, that like, whatever it is that makes me feel alive, that makes me want to live. That's the thing I want to protect. Okay, so we just answered the question. It isn't gonna be money because here's the weird thing about money is, and so the way that you get wealthy when you build a business is it, it comes all at once. So for years and years and years on paper, I'm worth hundreds of millions of dollars, but in reality, I'm driving a Ford Focus with a leaky exhaust and my own employees have to give me ride homes. That is a real story. And then one day you're hitting refresh on your banking app and boom, you're now fantastically wealthy. And so literally in that moment, you realize, whoa, all of my insecurities are still here. And so I better do the work on my emotional state, my mental state, how I feel about myself when I'm by myself, independent of my outward success. Mm -hmm. Okay, so I learned that lesson early. So now we exit Quest and I'm, cause we, we did it in two tranches. So we took an investment, so now I'm wealthy. We took another invest, or we sold the company at the end. And so now I'm really wealthy. So it's like, okay, I've, I've gone through that cycle, which is why I knew the only thing that matters is meaning and purpose because that's what's gonna make me feel good about myself when I'm by myself, is that I have a goal and that goal is exciting to me and it's honorable. 
So I'm trying to elevate humanity. I'm trying to lift people up around me, right? It could be, you don't have to be trying to uplift the whole world, but you're trying to make it better for somebody near you, the people that you love and care. It's not just about you. And we're hardwired for this. It just is. It is what I call the physics of being human. There is no way to escape that trap. We must all, as a social creature, feel like we are meaningfully contributing to the group. Otherwise, we feel a sense of emptiness, of being lost. We may not even be able to put our finger on why, but I'm just telling you, the why is because you're a social animal that isn't contributing to the group. Okay, so fulfillment is this. This is just lining up with what your brain is wired to give you pleasure for or punish you for not doing. Working really hard to gain a set of skills that allow you to accomplish that goal that's both honorable and exciting. You have to have all of that. You have to work hard. This is why rich kids often end up in trouble because they didn't earn any of this. And there's a sub-program in the unconscious mind that's gonna reward you if you work hard for something. That's why getting out and being active and doing hard labor, at the end of the day, we're tired, but we feel good. That's a subconscious program running in your mind, just saying, hey, you were a hunter-gatherer once and I needed, dear nature or God, in, you know, input your language, I needed to give you a pleasurable reward for going out and doing that scary, dangerous, hard thing. So we get naturally rewarded for that and we feel its absence. So you work really hard to gain a set of skills that allow you to serve yourself and other people. That's fulfillment. That, that is an emotional state that can weather a storm. So it can weather a breakup. It can weather uh, losing your money. It can weather a death in the family. Okay. It isn't happiness. It's something far more concrete that says to me, the way that I think about it, it, it's nature's way of ensuring that you're translating potential into actual skill set. And the reward for translating potential into used skill set is fulfillment. Yeah. Uh, You know, you are one of the best humans I know for this idea of pursuit of a goal, unapologetically yourself. Um, You are the friend that I turn to when I have this, you know, like a crazy idea. I want to do something big because Tom, excuse my language, earmuff your children, gives zero fucks. Like he just will go so hard because you're so attached to your purpose and your why that you're able to sort of let go of anybody else's expectations of what that looks like. How did you develop that skill? Is that something that has always been inside of you or is that something that you have learned to do over time? Something I've learned to do over time, but it's based on something really, really straightforward. And uh, I'll quote 50 Cent and again, earmuff your children. I came in the game humble. Can't nobody tell me shit now. (laughs) It's like, once you realize that something works, Like, what are people going to tell you? So, for instance, I know that people can change. And I I know they can change because I have watched them do it. I have done it myself. So now you could come to me and say, Tom, people are incapable of change. And I'll be like, that doesn't make sense. It doesn't compute with my real experience. And as I say in science, when the result doesn't comport with actuality, your science is wrong. So this is one where I just know that to be a fundamental truth of life because I've lived it and I've seen it over and over. So... Now, when you know a couple things, one, that people can change, and you know that you have the only belief that matters, that if I put time and energy in getting better at this thing, that I can get better at it, then how you spend your time becomes a spiritual consideration. Because now it's, okay, I'm going to get good at what? 
How am I going to help with this? What am I going to do for myself? What am I going to do for other people with this thing? Okay, I'm going to elevate humanity. Okay, rad. So now I'm putting all my time and energy into making sure that nobody gets to the age of 15 without encountering a growth mindset. I know that it can happen. And I know that there's this magical period called the age of imprinting from 11 to 15. The Japanese actually have a name for it. In boys and girls, it's slightly different, but it translates to the few years. It's this really interesting period that we all go through these few years where your brain is soaking up culture in a way that it didn't do before and will never do again. And so I'm trying to insert myself into that moment. So now imagine you come along and you criticize what I'm doing. I'm gonna ask two simple questions. One, are they right? because they may have a better insight into what I'm trying to do. And then two, by taking that information or ignoring it, do I get closer or farther away from my goal? So that's all I'm asking. So it isn't an attack on me because my self-esteem is built around being the learner. So I'm just trying to learn. I'm not trying to be cool. I'm not trying to be awesome. I'm trying to learn and actually accomplish a goal, which is to make sure that nobody gets to the age of 15 without encountering a growth mindset. So now it's like people can throw shade. They can tell me that I'm stupid. And all I'm going to do is say, in what way? Because if you can remove those scales from my eyes and I can see more clearly how to execute on this goal that I care deeply about and have dedicated my life to, I want to know that. And so as long as I'm thoughtful about what I build my self-esteem around, then I can be open to that. And, and it looks like zero fucks are given, right? But the reality is I'm just so hungry for the real answer. And I so believe in what I'm trying to accomplish that even if what you want is for my emotional devastation, I wanna hear what you have to say because when people come after you, and I want everybody listening to this one, when people come after you, they come after you with real shit. Yeah. They come after you with the thing that they know is going to hurt. Yeah. They don't come to me and say, oh, Tom is a purple cow. They come to me and say, Tom has big ears because that is a fact. <laughs> so it's like, that's just, that's what people do, right? And so if they're attacking your business, they're going to come at you with the thing that's actually a weak point. Right. And so if you can open yourself to that and say, hey, Rad, I'll take a good idea from wherever it comes, even if it comes from a hater. Yeah. You're also really good, though, about um, choosing sort of how you engage in those or better yet, not engaging, like not giving energy to it. I feel like you have this superpower of being laser focused on what you are doing. I've never met anybody in my life. I work hard. I can't even touch the hem of Tom's <laughs> garment. Like at any given moment, I'll, you know, I can text and like, Three days later, I'll get a text back and he's like, I'm sorry, I was, you know, I was in a bunker. I was writing for 48 hours. It was, so like, how did you develop this skill of being laser focused, ignoring the distraction, ignoring what people are saying in order to be as productive as you are? Okay, so the human mind is capable of extraordinary change and it will latch on to the things that you tell it to latch on to. Now, here is the, the real answer is, I understand desire as a process. And I understand that everything I don't have is because I don't want it badly enough. So let's okay, take on, my physique. Hold on, let's, let, let's not rush by that. These ladies <laughs> need to get this moment. Everything I don't have is because I don't want it enough. And, and by the way, that's not a dig, but will you just unpack that really quickly before you move on? Yeah. So one, if you take it as a dig, it's because you're building your self-esteem around what you have and what you've accomplished. So because I don't do that, that is a trap. That is a trap. 
So I, I really emphasize that because on paper, you can make me sound incredible, right? The success I've had, it sounds insane. And people hear it, oh my God, like I want that. And I'm like, no, what you want, you don't want my championship ring. What you want is my ability to become capable of a championship performance. Mm. Now, I would much rather become capable of a championship performance, meaning I'm working hard, I'm pushing my skill set, I'm constantly putting myself out there, eternally being the learner, trying to get good at something, make it to the championship and lose it because of something I failed to do well, than to be on the bench and get the ring for something somebody else did well. So becoming capable of the championship performance, like that's, that's the game. Now, whether you win the championship or not, honestly, like don't invest in that, right? You should be thinking about, I'm a learner because you never want your self-esteem to be tied up in an end goal. That's not the way the human mind works. And to me, it just always comes back to how does the human mind work? You, everyone that hears what I'm about to say will know this to be true the moment the words leave my lips. As soon as you get to the top of a hill, you're looking for the next one. That moment of satisfaction is so short-lived as to be hilarious. So it, you, you can work your whole life and say, as I did, once I have X number of dollars in my bank, I will never you know, do anything I don't want to again. It's a lie because by the time you get there, you've already emotionally moved on. And even if you haven't, that only lasts for a little while. And nature makes sure that you get back out there and that you keep hunting and gathering. So it's just a part of what we do. So recognizing that, okay, I'm only going to build my self-esteem around what I call the sincere pursuit. So I'm trying to build the next Disney. My value in and of myself as I think about me is not tied to whether or not I achieve that, but it is tied every day to whether I showed up and sincerely pursued it. Meaning it wasn't just rhetoric, right? A cool thing to get PR that I'm like really actually in the trenches. I know what to do with the next 15 minutes of my time to get that thing, to actually move a meaningful step closer. Okay. So that's the framework for this idea of everything that I don't have, I don't have because I don't want it badly enough. Okay. So I know I'm changeable. I know desire is a process, meaning I can go through a process to get more desire, to build desire within myself. So now I have to decide what am I going to choose to desire? Let that one sink in because everything you desire in your life is a choice at some point, And maybe when you were really young, you invested in it. And so it seemed to be a quote unquote, like natural thing. You were born with it. This is your mission, your purpose in life. And I imagine I'm about to upset some people in your audience. Nobody has a purpose in life. You decide what purpose yeah. you have. Yeah. You decide you're going to pursue something and make it your purpose. When I was at Quest, I got cheered all day long because my purpose, my mission was to end metabolic disease. People were like, yo, that's so like meaningful. I can't believe it. And I was in and I was just doing it. And if that's what I was going to do for the rest of my life, I was about it. Then when that wrapped and I moved on to a new mission, I knew that I had to go through a process of falling in love with the new mission of making sure that nobody gets to the age of 15 without encountering a growth mindset, the way that I had about ending metabolic disease. And just as that was a process that I was not born with, so was switching it over. Okay. So if it is true that we can build desire and by at the end of this, if you want me to walk you through what that process we is, definitely I do, that. do. Yes. No problem. So we'll get there in a sec. Um, so I know that I can build that process. So then I look at anything in my life. So take my physique, right? I look at other people's physiques and I think, 
damn, I want to have that physique. That looks amazing. Now, here's why I don't get jealous. Because I know I could have that physique, but I would have to put in the time and the energy. And it may be harder for me because I come from a morbidly obese family. I find it very easy to put on fat. I could watch you eat and I would get fat. So it is at times very frustrating. Uh, but at the same time, I once went through the whole process. And for two years, I was like, I'm just going to be obsessed with my physique. And it was fun. And I loved it. And I had six pack abs and they were razor sharp and it was great. And I'll show you the photos. But I didn't want to live like that forever. It just wasn't interesting enough. So it's like, okay, I make a conscious choice now to focus on other things. So anything in my life, I'm just like, okay, I want this thing. I build the desire to a fever pitch with the process that we're going to walk you through in a second. And then I actually want that thing. So then it's exciting to wake up every day and pursue it. Desire, the desire process. The, and and right. like uh, what's so rad to you guys is that we're hearing from so many different teachers and how they unpack things. And I think you're getting how much of what Tom believes and how he pursues life and how he breaks something apart all come back to the wiring in our brains, which is very different than Sharice this morning talking about listening to your gut. And the reason that I put so many speakers in front of you instead of just 15 people who are all saying the same thing is that there is a different teacher and a different style for each and every one of us. So talk us through this idea of desire as it plays through our neurological wiring. No doubt. All right, so um, take Steve Jobs. If Steve Jobs had been born a thousand years ago, the mission of his life would not to have been to build the iPhone, right? So we are 50% hardwired, meaning we're not blank slates, but we are the blankest of slates, as um, I have heard said before. And I think that that is a really smart way to look at it. So of all the animals that exist, we have the biggest ability to change. So now the question becomes, how much of this is manipulatable. So I think that you have to have an initial spark of like, that speaks to me. And an easy way to get to that is to say, what at, or what gives you more energy than it takes? So you identify those things in your life by going out and trying a lot of things, whether it's taking a dance class, coming to a conference like this, playing video games, hanging out with your kids, going out with your girlfriend, saying yes to a lot of things that scare you. And you do all of that stuff. And you go, whoa, I never would have thought that skiing gave me more energy than it takes. Or, wow, I never would have thought, um, you know, going and volunteering at the, the pet shelter would give me more energy than it takes. I never thought that creative writing would give me more energy than it takes. But you try all this stuff and you find that some things give you more energy. But if somebody said, what's the mission of your life? You'd still be like, I don't know, man. I don't even, I don't have a passion. Like, I'm not one of those people that were blessed. Now, I'll walk you through my earliest passion and show you how it could be very easy to confuse for, oh, I was just born with it. So my dad, great dad, loved him to death, great person, I should say. He was very emotionally unavailable when I was a kid. And he would go hide in the garage. Now, he wanted me to work on cars, but I absolutely despise it. I don't like getting my hands dirty. And so I never wanted to do it. And, but he liked movies. And I liked movies, but I just liked them. Like any other kid likes movies, you know, huh. Not every kid that likes movies goes on to decide that they want to build the next Disney, right? So I like movies. My dad likes movies. Becomes a way to bond with my dad. My dad, random luck. This is in the, this would have been the late 80s, maybe early 90s at this point. 
his work has a camcorder. Now, nobody has access to a camcorder, but my dad does, and he brings it home, and I start playing with it. But I wanted to be in front of the camera. But one day, my dad makes an offhanded comment. He says, I actually think that you're better behind the camera than you are in front. Now, it is entirely possible that my dad was embarrassed with how I was acting in front of the camera, and he was just trying to steer me to the back, but he did it in a compliment. So movies helped me bond with my dad. I randomly get access to something that lets me use that desire and I can go in and get better, right? Investing in the skill, which makes me feel good. Then my dad compliments, hey, you're actually really good behind the camera. And so I think, whoa, then I wanna do this, right? Now, how much of this is just my natural inclination? I'm wired for it. How much is I wanted my dad's love and attention and somehow got it through that? How much is that the movies of the 80s really were just that rad? Like all of it comes together, right? It isn't one thing or the other. And so it all comes together in this stew. But for 10 years of my life, 15 almost, I didn't hardly watch a single film. I didn't write a word of a screenplay. I wanted to learn business and I loved it. I was on fire for it. I had fallen in love with this new thing. And quite honestly, in that period, I wasn't thinking, oh, I'm gonna come back to filmmaking. It, it had become so self-evident to me that the struggle is guaranteed, but the success is not. So I thought this whole 18 months to get rich may be the rest of my life, but I've fallen in love with this process. I feel a sense of agency in my own life. I feel like I'm growing more powerful. It was an amazing transformation and I love it more than I can tell you. So I really was, for a period, I'd stopped thinking about film. And it's beyond the scope of what I'm talking about now to say how I get back into it. But so through that process, I realized, okay, wait a second. I had fallen in love with film and could walk myself through what I just walked you through. And I was like, now I want to fall in love with nutrition. And so I did it through my own body, my own experiments and how it made me feel. I did it by attaching myself to my family that was morbidly obese and I could show up every day and fight for them. There's this amazing quote often attributed to Mother Teresa, no one will act for the many but people will act for the one. And so I was like, okay, I'm gonna think about my mom and my sister and I'm gonna show up. I'm not building a nutrition company. I'm saving my mom and my sister. I'm not ending metabolic disease. I'm saving my mom and my sister. That I can do. Now I have to do it by ending metabolic disease, but that was a marketing message. For me, I was saving my mom and my sister and that was my obsession. And I wanted to make food that they could choose based on taste and it happened to be good for them. And I fell in love with that and I was emotional about it and I could stay up late and fight and obviously build a business. Now, when I was done with that, I realized I needed to do the same thing onto something else. So I've got all of that in the back of my mind as I realized now I'm gonna pivot my desire and it goes like this. Of course, it's gonna come back to the brain. So number one, you're gonna tell yourself what it is you're trying to fall in love with. I'm gonna make sure that nobody gets to the age of 15 without encountering a growth mindset. Then you're gonna tell other people, hey everybody, I used to big brother for this kid and he grew up in one of the hardest neighborhoods in South Central Los Angeles and I failed to save him from his zip code and I will never fail anybody like that again. And that was, dev I have the chills now just saying this. I'm never gonna do it again. I had 3,000 employees, 1,000 of them grew up hard like this kid that I big brothered for for eight and a half years. And so I'm never letting another person go through that, whatever it takes. And I'm going to build the next Disney because that's going to be how I influence culture. So to do that, I've got to build this company. But now building the next Disney is not about being cool, slick, creative, and amazing CEO. It's about saving that kid. Mm -hmm. It's about making good on a promise that I'm never going to let that happen again. And so 
Now here's the key. So remember, I said it to myself. I'm saying it to other people. I'm anchoring it to something intimate that matters to me. And then the big one, I'm going to embody the passion I want to feel in the future. So I will do it for you right here. Rachel, I'm super excited that you invited me on today. This is really meaningful. And to you know, be a part of your community, it, it matters and you've built something really special. Okay? That's unembodied. Right. Rach, oh my God, <laughs> this is incredible. For you to put me in front of these amazing women and I got to watch while you guys were dancing and going and I can see the passion that people are building in their lives. And I want to be a part of that. Like I want to pour in to people that want to do something with their life. Okay. I have the chills just from doing it like that. Now, there is a mechanism in your brain, because if you think I'm crazy, I'm about to hit you with that neuroscience. <laughs> there, is a, there is a region of the brain. Its job is to make sense of the emotional amplitude of what just happened. Whoa, we just reacted really big. This must be important. Oh, we're really chill about this. It must not be a big deal. And so whatever you do, it will begin to hardwire and your body will go, yo, this whole thing about making sure nobody gets to the age of 15 without encountering growth mindset, we're talking about it all the time. When we talk about it, we're super hyped up. We're going deep, we're convincing people, we're getting them excited, we're building something, all this energy. And your brain goes, wow, this is like a big thing. And at first you feel like you're kind of putting it on and you are, but you're training your brain. And so then after, it's probably somewhere around month three, it starts to feel pretty real. Then month six, you can, you're legitimately attached. And so I recorded this video, which I welcome people after this to look up. So you'll see how sincere I, how sincere I mean this and how well the process works. So I'd been doing, by the time I recorded this video, I'd probably been doing that for like a year and a half, maybe even close to two years talking about this kid that I big brothered for and how I was tying this all together. And I was never going to let other people fail like that. And I knew exactly how to do it, but it was going to be really hard. And so I record this video and I said, look, I want to put on the record what I'm doing so that when I pull this off, people are going to be like, what? Like he called this shot 17 years ago. Right. And he just relentlessly like performed day after day, year after year. And so I record this thing. And in the middle of it, I say why I'm doing it. And I, I start crying like ugly cry because I had spent so much time bonding that idea around who he is, what he meant, how I failed him, and that I was never gonna let that happen again. And I just embodied it with that big passion over and over and over, over. Every time I was invited onto a stage to talk to my own team, explaining to my wife, my family, I always embodied that passion. And over time, it just really cements and becomes real. And what I want people to understand, malleability, the, the very fact that we can change, what they call brain plasticity. That is the greatest gift you're ever going to get. Now, for anybody out there doubting themselves, well, okay, it's great for Tom. Like he can do this, he's special. I'm gonna give you a quote. This, this quote sits like the booze don't block don'ts. This one sits like a glowing ember inside my chest cavity. And it goes like this. You can't make a racehorse out of a pig but you can make a really fast pig. <laughs> and my life is the answer to the question, what does a really fast pig look like? So oh my God, yes. I, I am not special. My own mother quietly assumed I was going to fail when I left for college. 
My best friend said, oh, I just assumed you were going to marshmallow your way through life. That's a quote. My father-in-law said no when I asked for his blessing to marry his daughter. These were the people closest to me. They had not misidentified me. What they didn't understand, though, was that I was willing to build drive into my life. But they met me at a time before I had it. So I had big dreams, but they were empty. I wasn't doing anything to pursue them. So once you understand, it doesn't matter where you are today. It only matters who you want to become and the price you're willing to pay to get there. Yeah. Everything changes. Yeah. Um, so one of the things that you said that, that sparked a thought for me was how big of the dreams you're, you're talking about, like how big your dreams are. Because you're not saying, I want to impact a thousand people. You're not even saying, I want to impact a million people. You are saying, I want to make sure that no child gets to the age of 15 without, and that you're taking ownership of that in yourself. And I think one of the most incredible gifts I've been given in the last handful of years is the ability to interact with people who think bigger than I do. I remember sitting, it's gotta be two or three years ago now, sitting at a mastermind. You know the mastermind, right? We are all sitting around that table. And I remember someone at the table, everyone was sort of going around and you had this opportunity to share like about your year and then ask a question. And someone at the table, I remember was like, yeah, I'm trying, like a part of the, you know, sort of 20 year plan or whatever is I just wanna figure out how we can teach dolphins to talk. <laughs> And it wasn't my turn yet. And I, rem I was like, what? what? You know, he's just like, well, like, I think there's a way, there's a technology, like what if we could wire their brains? I just wanna know what dolphins are thinking and wouldn't that be amazing because dolphins are most like human. And he's just like going out. And I was like, holy crap. I was gonna ask about a morning routine. This guy's <laughs> trying to figure out how to talk to Flipper. What the hell? Like it, it was the, one of those like pivotal moments for me where I was like, oh my, you are thinking so small. And what I'm hoping to do by y'all getting to sit and listen to my friend is what he does for me, which is like, Rach, your dream's like this and the world's this big. How in the hell, if you have a dream that, that is that big? Because you said, not only do I know what it is, but I know exactly how to get there. What if you're in this room and you know what the dream is, but you've no freaking clue how to get there? So here's the, the secret. When I say I know exactly how to get there, what I'm saying is I know how to acquire skills because the world moves so fast and changes so rapidly that the only thing you can count on is your ability and willingness to learn. So here's a stat that for anybody entrepreneurs in the crowd, this is going to uh, unnerve you, or at least it should. Back in 1961, if a company made it onto the S&P 500, they would stay there for an average of 61 years. As of today, that's down to almost 12 years. Technology has increased the rate of change. Everybody can feel it. We all know what's going on. But when you're trying to build a business and you realize just how quickly things move, you realize you're building an empire on sand. And you have to be extraordinarily comfortable that I have to constantly keep rebuilding, 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 rebuilding. And the only way that this thing has persistence is because I'm constantly changing and adapting and learning. And so what I know, and because I told my team as, as we brought them on, so we leave Quest, this sort of loving embrace of a, a gigantic company with, you know, just obscene amounts of capital to being a startup. And I said, look, our job is to stay in business long enough for us to figure this out. 
And that's been the edict from day one. And so as you go, you begin to realize, okay, cool. I get where this is going. Uh, this isn't working. We're going to have to, you know, tweak this and try that. And you do that enough and it's never knocking your sense of self because your sense of self is entirely, I'm the learner. So having a big dream, the biggest of dreams, colonizing Mars, terraforming an entire planet, whatever, they are all simply proclamations about your ability to learn and galvanize a team around you or to be a part of a galvanized team if that's not a skill set that you want to acquire. And so looking at big dreams doesn't scare me in the slightest because I don't value myself for achieving it, only this sincere pursuit. I know that I can learn anything over time and I know that I'm not gonna do this by myself. And so it's a game of getting other people around me that can help me do this. And then the last part, making sure that the ride is joyful because only the ride is guaranteed. I'm not guaranteed to get to the destination. Mm -hmm. So it's like this really pretty simple formula that allows you to have the most absurdly audacious goals. And as long as you can marry that with business savvy, you can get there. Very cool. Last uh, thought that I want you to unpack for this crew, because I think I reference it every single time that I'm in a space with you and Lisa, because it's one of my favorites and I use it all the time in my own life. Will you tell the story about how you two challenge each other when you have an idea or a dream? The, the line that you say is no bullshit. What would it take? Will you tell that story? Yeah, so it's really funny, even with amazing entrepreneurs, the mind has a tendency towards why something isn't going to work. And so you slide into this um, mindset that is never going to help you find the answer. So we started playing the game. No bullshit, what would it take? We want to end metabolic disease. No bullshit, what would it take? Well, we'd have to create a food company that made food that people could choose based on taste because that's the nature of the human animal and it happened to be good for them. So that we're leveraging all of the behaviors that have gotten them into trouble historically and now help them to use those behaviors to get out. So we're not trying to change behavior, we're trying to leverage it. Okay, what would we have to do in order to make sure that nobody gets to the age of 15 without encountering a growth mindset? Well, what causes people to develop their mindset, whatever it is in the first place? Well, it's your parents, right? Because you take an extraordinary amount of your worldview from your parents. It's your friends and it's the neighborhood you grow up in, just the, what they think is cool. Okay, well, I can't influence who your parents are. I can't determine who your friends are. I can't do anything about the neighborhood you grow up in, but I can do something about what they all think is cool. And so now I know I'm in culture. Okay, well, if you're in culture, it's basically music or gaming or film TV. Okay, well, I don't have the desire to pursue the music path, even though I recognize how powerful it is. I do very much have the desire to pursue the gaming and film and TV. So cool. Now, has anybody done it well? You look at that and now you're building. But what, what the game of No Bullshit, What Would It Take does is it says it puts you into a problem-solving mindset, which I just cannot encourage people enough. For You can always say no later. You can always go... Like, I'll give you an example. So let's say that um, I were struggling with my weight and I just couldn't get it together. I could allow a friend of mine to kidnap me, take me into international waters so that I couldn't sue him for this, put me in a cage and only give me chicken breast and broccoli. Now, I'd resent him in the end and so it'd probably be a bad strategy long-term, but in the short term, it actually would work. 
So you could play that game and then we all would look at each other and be like, that's dumb. We are definitely not doing that. But it puts you in this mindset of, okay, we wouldn't do that, but what would we do? And then you start going down the, okay, this actually would work. Now it's going to be hard. You know, we have to figure out some skills we'll acquire ourselves. Some we'd rather somebody else do because they might have a much easier time learning it, whatever. But you get to a point where you're like, man, that would work. Now, do we want to do it? And that, it lets you be audacious by process. And so rather than forcing you to just be one of those people with swagger, you just say, okay, this is never going to work. I'm absolutely terrified. Nope, nothing, nada. We're never doing this. And then you just go, okay, wait, let's play a game. No bullshit. What would it take? And so then at the end, you, you, you can feel your mind change. I love always coming back to the way that you teach and the way that you think because it is, it removes a lot of the emotion from the process. Emotion is tied to the passion and the things that you're doing. But I feel like when we sort of see an equation, it's much easier for our brains to comprehend what is possible. And this afternoon is all about the equation for us. So Tom, my brother, Rachel, wait, my before friend. you let me go. Yes, yes, before, yes, yes. I, you must be on a tight timeline, so I'll be so fast. But you just brought something up that if I have a crowd of Women mostly, I'm sure. Yes. Uh, I have to bring this up. Okay. Tom, you can Emotions. talk to us for the next six hours, man. We're here for it. All right. Thank you guys so much. Th this idea is so important and I'm desperately trying to get it like out into the world. Okay. Your subconscious mind can process data faster and vaster than your conscious mind. Now, the reason that your conscious mind could never adapt to language is infancy and if you're willing to grant me, because obviously as infants, we don't have language. And so for us to even understand enough to cry or whatever, it, it would be unuseful. And if you'll grant me that we are, you know, whether God put this emotion or not, that we have an evolutionary past. So we've come through phases where we didn't have the ability to speak deep ideas with nested concepts in them. Okay, so language is never gonna be the answer. It's too slow. And we, we have gone through evolutionary or just developmental periods where it wouldn't work. Okay. So then what language is the subconscious mind going to speak to the conscious mind in? And the answer is emotion. Mm -hmm. Now, the problem is all that emotion is meant to get you to do is take action. And the only action the subconscious mind cares about is your survival. Yep. Technically, it wants to make sure that you stay alive long enough to have children that have children. Okay. That's all your subconscious mind cares about. It does not care if your marriage is healthy. It does not care if you choose the right kind of guy. It doesn't care about what you eat. In fact, it wants you to eat stuff with calories, sugar, fat, salty. Yeah, baby. It wants you to go for all the good stuff. So now what you have to realize is, okay, this emotion that I'm feeling does not necessarily move me towards my goals. Okay. This is the key part. You have to know what your goal is. Goals to be really, really, really clear so that you can ask of every emotion, if I were to act on this, no matter how valid, right? No matter how valid, does it move me towards my goal, yes or no? If yes, then we act on the emotion. If no, then we don't act on the emotion. And I filter everything in my life through that. And I recognize I have gratitude for my subconscious for having developed this language to process all this data and to give me this feedback. It's incredible what the body can do. Emotions are amazing. And if you selectively damage the area of the brain that deals with emotion, get ready for this, you could meet that person with that area of their brain damaged. You would think they were normal in every possible way. You'd be like, there's no problem. We don't need emotions. And then you'd say, hey, Sally, where should we go eat for lunch? 
and she cannot make a decision. Literally, this has been studied. They are pathologically incapable of making a decision because there's no subconscious emotion to push you in one way or the other. Your emotions are critical, but they are not truth. Mm. Well, it reminds me of, um, you're the one who told me to read Feeling Good, right? Feeling yes. Good by David uh, Feeling Good by David D Burns is an incredible book that probably every human being should read. And since yes. you touched on this, I think this would be really great to unpack if you have a second is the idea that we believe that when we feel an emotion, it is truth. We think that if we're feeling anxious, if we're feeling scared, if we're feeling angry that it is tied to the truth. And in this book it talks about the idea that what you think what you think is affecting how you feel. Like we think I am feeling so it is true, but really you are thinking something that is triggering this emotion inside of you. Will we talk about that real quick? No doubt. And just to complicate matters even more, if you really wanted me to make somebody super anxious and just convinced that everything in their life is wrong, let me control their diet and have them eating foods that I know causes dysbiosis, your anxiety will go through the roof. Unfortunately, I know that one from experience. And I just, it didn't seem possible that what I was feeling had anything to do with my diet. And then I changed my diet and stopped feeling it. So it, it is, it, it's absolutely insane how much this is a concert of your body giving you signals based on what you're eating and doing and sleeping and all of that and the thoughts that you allow yourself to think. So David D. Burns writes this book, Feeling uh, good. And now he's written an updated version called Feeling Great. And it's about cognitive behavioral therapy. And one of the core takeaways is to recognize that we all have what are known as cognitive distortions. So uh, one of them is all or nothing thinking. If I turn in this presentation and it doesn't go well, I'll never have a career. Another one is fortune telling. I'm going to give this presentation. I know my boss is going to hate it. And so we do all of these things. Now, as you rehearse that failure in your mind, you're building anxiety. So the, the other second takeaway, which changed my life, is what's known as a pattern interrupt, where I don't allow myself to ruminate on ideas that are rehearsing failure. So if I'm thinking about the ways that something could go wrong, I stop myself immediately. And I have a rule in my life. I want to be completely surprised by failure. I want success to almost be boring because I've spent so much time imagining all the ways that it's going to be successful, all the things that I have to do to guarantee its success. If I fail, I'd be like, what the hell? I never even considered that I could fail at this. Now, that doesn't mean that I'm not going hard. I just don't rehearse it. Dang it. So good. Tom! Thank you. Oh, man. The Rachel Hollis Podcast is hosted by me, Rachel Hollis. Our show is edited by Andrew Weller with additional production support by Sterling Coates. Our executive producer is Cameron Berkman. The Rachel Hollis Podcast is a 3% chance production.